Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. Ever wonder what it's like to be a bishop of the Catholic Church? <laughs> You're in luck. Bishop Frank is going to give us a look into a week in the life of a bishop. And after that, we'll talk about next week's General Assembly of the USCCB. Quick question for you though. Are you listening to Veritas on the radio at 1350 AM or on your mobile phone? Everybody should download the Veritas Catholic Network app. You can listen live to our 24 hours of programming. You can grab podcasts of our shows like Let Me Be Frank and Restless. Plus, our upcoming shows will be there as well as broadcasts of special events. So download the app. Go to the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or visit www.veritascatholic.com. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, everybody. It is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, it's great to be with you, as always, my friend. Thanks, Excellency. You know, I um, uh, I wanted to ask you, so uh, the topic this week, it's probably uh, an impossible question because it's mm-hmm. difficult for me to even imagine how busy you must be. And, you know... I, there must be so many different constituencies looking for your attention locally, nationally, even internationally. Mm-hmm. Plus, you have this guy who bugs you every week about getting on the radio. So. <laughs> uh, it's the high point of the week. What are you talking about? <laughs> to, to, the extent, to the extent you can do this, Excellency, can you give us a, di- a look into the day in the life of a bishop or a week in the life? I mean, you know, in normal times, not, not pandemic right. times. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a great question because it's um, I, I, two. There's two things I want to share just to start off the conversation. First, is many years ago, I gave a talk to elementary school principals, and the topic was principal as juggler. And I just ran across it actually not long ago. It's like in those old-fashioned files that it, you, you still have. Paper? Uh, you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although it's kind of like it's it's fraying along the edges, but nonetheless. Um, and I, I kind of glanced at it, and I thought to myself, wait before you ask this question. Yeah, that's kind of like my life. It's it's a juggling act, right? Because the second observation that I think everyone should just kind of give some thought to um, when you you say, well, what does a bishop do? Really, there are three munara, or I'm going to say sacred areas of responsibility that a bishop has. And it would be, it's the ministry of teaching, the ministry of sanctification, and the ministry of governance. And every day is a battle as to who gets my attention and to what extent I could give it my attention. Mm-hmm. Right. So in normal, now with the pandemic, it's different because I am a bit restricted in the first and second. Right? And I've had to change my tactics to do those. But the third can be overwhelming, the administrative piece, just trying to make sense of everything on how to move forward as a diocese. Yeah. Right? So... So having said all that, um, in a normal in in a normal day, it always starts with prayer and coffee. Always, you can't have life without either. 
in my humble opinion. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm an early riser. So when I'm really energetic, I'm up at 4 a.m. And when I'm less wow. energetic, it's 4.30, quarter to 5. <laughs> wow. And I, I love the morning. I love the morning because we were joking before we went on air. I love people, but I love time without people. Yes. Because almost all my day is interacting with people. And I mentioned this once before. I am, by personality, an introvert, not right. an extrovert. Right. So while I love being with people, it does, it does take me um, psychological and spiritual energy to always be engaged the way I need to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's energy well spent, but it still takes energy. I'm not, there are some people who are just so naturally disposed, right? But I'm not one of them. So um, the morning is my time to be at peace with Jesus. And the older I get, the more I look forward to it. Quite frankly, it's the high point of my day. Yeah. And if I do not have public celebration of Mass, my holy hour ends with the celebration of Mass. So that's my time with the Lord. And there was a part of me that always was kind of selfish, you know, wondering to myself, is this being like too selfish, I've got a thousand other things going on. And I said, no, it's not. No, it's not. Because if, it's like, say, Charles Borromeo said, if, if you don't take care of this parish of your soul, you can't take care of any other parish for that matter, or diocese for that matter. So then after breakfast, we're off to the races. Hmm. And going back to the three areas, it, it's, it's as different as each day is different. So for example, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, this past week, one of the days I started with a school mass, which was tremendous. I love being with the kids. And I haven't done it for almost 10 months because of this crazy pandemic, right? Yeah. But uh, before the state restrictions came in to go back to 100, we actually able to fit the whole school. And it was just, it was just delightful. So that first piece, you know, the sanctifying was there. And that is where I am most me. All right. I, that's where I'm most comfortable. That's where I get most of my joy. That's why I love confirmations. I love celebrating confirmations. People say to me, well, how do you celebrate 90 confirmations and, and, and it not be routine? And at times, I mean, it, it could be. It has been. But oftentimes it's not because it's just, um, that's why I fell in love with the priesthood first and foremost. It's, it's the mysteries of the sacraments that always fascinated me, even as a little boy. Yeah. Right. And then I went to the office, and the office is one step above bedlam. So it could be anything <laughs> comes down. Crises, you know, crises that you don't know that just appear for the day. Ordinary um, uh, meetings, administrative stuff that has to be done, financial questions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Personnel issues. Um, personnel issues always defined, prove the premise. There are always more questions in life than answers. So just get used to it. Right. And then <clears throat> the day ended with the celebration of confirmation, two of them. So I, I started at both ends, bookends, with the sanctifying. <coughs> and in the midst was administration. Yeah. So. You know, with the personnel issues as well, for you, Excellency, you know, you're not just, you're not just a boss. You're also a father <coughs> to all of Absolutely. your priests. Without so a doubt. That's got to be a uh, difficult balance. Without a doubt. 
And what I have discovered is that when you say the word father, it means different things to different people. Hmm. And some of the deepest wounds we have are wounds we have received from either our fathers or our mothers. So I have grown much more sensitive to the fact that when I try to be a father to my priests, um, I need to give thought as to what that means to the priest in question. Right. And you know that. You, you're, you're, you're a natural father, right? I mean, you have your own children, and, and perhaps this resonates with you or our listeners who are parents, but um, uh, when you're married... You, one parent could be the good cop, yeah. one can be the bad cop. But when you're a single parent like me, it's just me. Right? <laughs> okay? uh, I'm good cop and bad cop, right? Simultaneously. And what that means is I have to be the one who bears the truth, and sometimes it's hard. Yeah. It's corrective. And, you know, my experience has been men don't like to be corrected. Right. We don't. Yeah. I don't either. Yeah. Right? But I wouldn't be a real father if I didn't do that. So that's why I mean it's... So that's where these three areas bleed into each other. Right? So if I'm doing personnel work, am I doing just administrative work? No. I'm also doing sanctifying work. Because my relationship with my priest should be one of the aids for them to grow in holiness so that they, please God, will one day go to the glory of heaven. Right? right? I mean that. Yes. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's an adventure. And interestingly, just a few days ago was a watershed moment for me, and you know, I always kid about my age. I kid all about stuff. Mm-hmm. That's partially because I'm Italian, melodramatic, all that <laughs> stuff. Um, but I got back from confirmations. I had two. I had a full day and confirmations. And I had said, okay, I want to get this project done. And I sat at my desk and I simply said to myself, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't have the energy to do this. It's the first time I remember in my life where I had to step away and said, this has to wait till tomorrow. And I must confess, it's been the subject of a lot of prayer since then for me, because it it is both humbling and liberating, because I drive myself very hard. I work very hard, Mm -hmm. and I like to work hard. Mm but there are limits to what I need to hold myself accountable for. Pandemic has helped me to do that. And now I think just the natural progression of my life is helping me to understand that. Um, So uh, the craziness, the, the, the sacred craziness of my life is going to become more and more a matter of surrender on my part to do what I can and leave to the Lord what I can't get to. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right? It's like that old John the 23rd, right? We used to go to bed at night and say, Lord, it's your church. You take care of it. I'm going yeah, to right. bed. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, I now understand what St. John the 23rd was talking about. Really, I, I understand it personally, existentially, not just theoretically, but I, I get it. I get it. I understand yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the pandemic, it's just a different world. It is a different world. Because I could work administratively all day long. It could take over absolutely every aspect of my ministry, which I can't allow it to do. And thank God I have great collaborators in the diocese, tremendous, who help. But the, but the, prob- the problems are so widespread and so, and they are growing in severity that you can't neglect it. Mm-hmm. You can't. So how do you... Um, how do you check yourself and make sure you step away? Uh, you see, it's great. When my mother was alive, she was my living check. Mm-hmm. My mother had no problems telling me. Well, she never had problems telling me anything. <laughs> she certainly didn't have problems. When I, was, when I became the vicar general of Brooklyn, I was a bishop. And there was a lot on my plate. My mother would have no problems telling me exactly what, because she could see it. She knew me, right? Yeah. Your parents know you as well, if not better than you know yourself, right? You're right. So... Right. And now it's a bit more difficult, right? Because the people around me are very respectful. And my friends, I don't have as much contact with my priest friends. Many of them are in Brooklyn, my classmates and others, who Mm -hmm. I very much care for. And I don't spend a lot of time with them. But when we do get together, it's like we never left. It's like no time had passed. Now, in Brooklyn, where you have more of an interchange with them, with your classmates, the, you know, in the roundabout of meetings, they will come up and say, you look terrible. You got it. Yes. Um, no one says that to my face in Bridgeport. They may say <laughs> behind my back, but they don't say it to me to my face. <laughs> so you have to be more self-aware. You, yeah. you have to become your, your own self-check in some ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is doable. Yeah, and if you're honest with yourself, mm-hmm. right? And thank God for Debbie. I'm sure she keeps a lot of people uh, at bay a little bit too. <laughs> Without a doubt. Oh no, Debbie's Debbie's tremendous. She's competent. She's professional. She's courteous. I've not heard a single ever, not a single complaint or word about Debbie from anyone, including the priest, which is simply remarkable. And you do need a gatekeeper, right? You yes, do. of course. Right, because people sometimes with the best of intentions do not realize that what they are asking is simply not reasonable for how I have to balance my time. And you know, the truth is, Steve, um, lots of people have my email address Hmm. and email me directly. And the only thing I ask of them is patience. I have no problems with people emailing me. In fact, I would welcome it. But what they need to understand is I don't I will get back to them when I can. Right. So if if they are willing to be patient, I am very happy to respond to those emails. Yeah. You know, it, it it's almost like it sounds like uh, bishops need a sort of support group with each other because mm-hmm. only other bishops would understand what's really, right. Right. you know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Is there any... Is there any well, there collaboration? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, oh, no, collaboration there is. In Connecticut, I'm very fortunate, with Archbishop Blair and Bishop Cody, we meet not as much now because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. but we used to meet on a regular basis, and we would share. We just issued a letter together not long ago, right? yes. just a few yep. weeks ago. Um, we're talking about the possibility of working together to establish a blessed um, McGivney's feast day for the three dioceses of Connecticut. Yeah. So we put them on our local calendars, which we can do. Oh, I mean, cool. So there's a lot of stuff going on, right? There is. and we, But there was a time when we actually made time to, uh, to just socialize together. Um, but before the pandemic, um, it was becoming harder to do that. Yeah. And now with the pandemic, it's not possible. I do right. miss that. I think the other two bishops missed that. And now, of course, there's Bishop Betancourt and Bishop Paul from the uh, eparchy here in Stanford. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and please, God, when the situation allows again, we would do that. And, and we, what we were doing is we were rotating. So we would meet three times a year just for dinner and just to relax and enjoy each other's company. And we would each host one for the three dioceses, right? Yeah. So please, God, we could go back to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's got to be, even though I'm sure it's a very professional relationship, there's got to be a certain amount of unwinding because only you understand what, you know, to a degree what Archbishop Blair is going through and, and mm-hmm. vice versa. So, mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the other thing too, my friend, to round this off is a pastor is the shepherd of his people and the link of communion with the other churches. So a bishop is the shepherd of the diocese and the link to the universal church. Now, when I look back on the last five years, actually even even before I came to Bridgeport, for whatever reason, many people asked me to be of service by giving reflections or talks or workshops or whatever else, even retreats to seminarians. Mm-hmm. And that's the teaching function. Right? which I take very seriously, and I also very much enjoy. So I've, do, I've done a lot of that around the country. One year, I was in 26 different places in one year. Wow. Okay. And I still did everything I needed to do in the diocese, right? Because technology allows you to answer emails in an airport. Now you can even do them in the if you're flying somewhere. So you don't yeah. have to miss a beat. Yeah. But I look back and... The, the physical and psychological energy to do that, <laughs> uh, that coming out of the pandemic, I can't do that anymore. I just right. can't do that anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's probably it a blessing. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, it was, oh, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Fun in the sense of I came back with all ideas, new ideas I didn't have before because that's the beauty of the Catholic Church. Yeah. The more we're in dialogue, the, the richer we become, right? The, the stronger we become. How, how, what a sharp contrast to a world that wants us to, to divide each other and, and, and become armed camps. Yeah. Right? And at the taping of this, you and I, right, we don't even know the results of the election. Right. And what will happen when there is a declared winner? I, I just worry. I'm fearful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the travel... Balanced with the uh, with your um, responsibilities here in the diocese, plus, mm-hmm. you know, you've had things like you had you went to present at World Youth Days, which you might be right. including in the travels, and then your right. responsibilities with Catholic Relief Services, 
as the chair and also the USCCB as the chair of the catechism. And now because I'm the chair of CRS, I'm uh, as a consultant on the Committee on Africa and International Peace and Justice. And then I'm still involved with youth work, which I'm very happy to do, young adult work in particular. One of the members of the new Institute for Young Adults. Oh, yeah, I'm not bored. I'm never bored. <laughs> do you, never. <laughs> do you have time for, let's say, uh, you know, reading for leisure, for example? Uh, not as much as I would like. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and it's not a question in the end. Like, for example, by 9.30, I'm done at mm-hmm. night. But if I'm up at 4.30, at 9.30, if I attempt to start reading, it would last five minutes and I'd fall asleep. Well, so, so that's for re- that's retreat and vacation, retreat and vacation. Okay. All right. So then um, outside of retreats and vacations, do you have uh, do you have a, you know a favorite way to kind of wind down, blow off steam, relax? Oh, yeah, some of my closer friends always make fun of me about this, right? But I love to watch either on television, one topic we've talked about, which is astronomy. Yes. Or nature, particularly animals. Mm. I love, I'm, thank God I'm called Francis. I love <laughs> animal shows. I think there's such a, an inherent beauty and dignity to the natural world. Yeah. Right? Um, and to see it. Now, of course, they joke because I joke sometimes. I say, well, of course, they're eating each other. But you got to get <laughs> over that. Right? <laughs> right? Right? See beyond that. But it's so... Uh, like Nat Geo Wild and some of these other stations, even the BBC America, yes. believe it or not, on Saturdays has Planet Earth, those, the series yeah. on Planet Earth. Amazing. Oh, it's spectacular, spectacular. It's just spectacular. And I, it, so I can relax and then I'm not thinking I'm in the wonder and awe gift of the Holy Spirit, not wisdom and understanding. It's the wonder and awe. Yeah. So you're just passive, taking it in. I love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. Well, love even it. the hunt, there's there's a beauty in the rhythm of the of the chase mm-hmm. and the you know all the and and I wish with the BBC, I wish David Attenborough would just narrate my life as I walked around. Oh, I know. And my gosh, <laughs> I have no idea how old he is, but he must be. He's been doing it forever. Yeah, right, forever. But I'll tell you something else. You know, people say the natural law, there is no natural law, which is nonsense. There is a natural structure, grammar, and rhythm to life. And when you look at animals, except for the rare occasion, animals don't kill for sport. Mm-hmm. They kill for survival, because that is, in fact, how they do survive. So the truth is, we're the rational animals. We are the ones that are ensouled. So someone explained to me why we, higher than the animals, act as if we were subservient to animal behavior. Hmm. We kill for sport. We kill out of violence and vengeance and evil. How did that happen? How did, how did we devolve to that point where the animals know better than we do? <laughs> yeah. Right? It's no different than astronomy. But when you open yourself to the wonder, the, just the sheer magnitude, the expanse of the universe, and to think I can think, I'm self-aware, I make choices, 
who am I? Who am I in this? Yeah. Really? I'm made of 37 trillion cells. Who am I? And yet, uh, in faith, God says, you're made in my image and likeness. You're my ambassador to that creation. Right? Yeah. It's... uh... My, my friend, some of my dearer friends say I'm a workaholic. I said, there's no such thing. Okay. I said, I'm going to quote my father. Right. I would rather burn out than rust out. Okay. But there's a truth to what they're saying is that if you do not balance, mm-hmm. then everything I just described, if you don't avail yourself of that opportunity, then you, then you are not the person you are meant to be in the Lord. He, he doesn't have the opportunity to nourish you. Hmm. So I've learned that too as a bishop. But could I just say this before we, we break? Um, I love being a bishop. I love the ministry. For all of the busyness, the craziness, the more questions than answers, you know, the juggling, I love it. I, I consider myself one of the most blessed people on earth to be able to have the opportunity to, to be a successor of one of the apostles. Which one, I do not know. I probably find out if I get to heaven. But to be, what, and, it's, and it's a privilege. It's an honor. It's, um, oh my gosh. It's, uh, well, it's, it's my life. Yeah, that you know, and I was just thinking, you probably get asked all the time wherever you go, Bishop, pray, pray for me for this, pray for me for this, and people are mm-hmm. always asking for your prayers, and mm-hmm. I wonder if there's something. So you have a lot of people who listen and who are who feel like they're growing a relationship with you through this show. I wonder if there's something that you would like the listeners and all of us to pray for on your behalf. Any intentions? Um, what a great question. I, I appreciate you asking it. There are two gifts that I'm always looking for. Wisdom and patience. And wisdom, as we know, is different than knowledge. Wisdom is prudential. I call it prudential knowledge. It's to make a decision or to to approach life with a larger perspective and an intuition that allows you to live life well or help others to live life well. In personnel issues, wisdom is the number one gift you have to bring to to the process. Mm-hmm. And then patience. Patience with myself, patience with the situation, patience now with the pandemic, patience with things outside your control, patience to realize that it's God's way, not my way. Okay. So those are the two gifts. If, if I would very much appreciate people praying. Yeah. Um, the Lord send that my way. Got it. All right, Excellency. We'll take a quick break. We'll talk about the upcoming USCCB assembly when we come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank. 
featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, as we mentioned right before the break, uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, well, they usually meet twice a year, but last year, last spring's assembly in Detroit was canceled because of COVID. And I mm-hmm. guess now you guys are getting ready to do a, a virtual general assembly. The <laughs> You're shaking your head. Well, the obvious uh, advantage, especially for a group that involves many older people, I'm sure, is the health and safety. But I guess you, I guess you there will be things that are clearly missing or or tougher yeah yeah but really (laughs) (laughs) i mean i understand we have to meet because there are some issues we have to talk about without a doubt but when you have like 200 and some odd people on the same call i mean it's it's the 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 real meeting is what happens in between the sessions. Yeah. It's the interchange, it's the discussions, it's the it's the conversations at lunch or breakfast or wherever. That's where the work gets done. Right. So that's all missing. I mean, it's better than nothing obviously, but it's it's certainly not going to be the same. Yeah. And um and I th- and you know many people joke about the USCCB. What does it do? What does it does do? What do you do with those meetings? And quite honestly, those meetings are extremely busy because many of the committees meet at the same time the general assemblies meet. Now, do I believe we can streamline how we operate? Yes. Our listeners have to. But is there a value to what we do? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Most people need to realize that the the conferences the episcopal conferences in and of themselves do not have authority over the bishops the only person who has authority over the bishops is the pope Hmm. so the vast majority of that work which is done is by support of the body of bishops and is a recommendation to the bishops to follow of which many do Mm -hmm. i do only when items go to Rome for recognitio, when Rome approves them, particularly if you're talking about legislation, then it is binding. So, for example, the Dallas Charter, the norms of the Dallas Charter are binding because right. Rome has approved them. But other things and other statements other programs are recommendations. So, for example, one of the items we're going to talk about is the proposal from the Committee on Evangelization and catechesis, of which I'm a member, Bishop Barron is the outgoing chair, this is his last meeting, to do a three-year program that focuses on the Eucharist, like a Eucharistic revival, which is intriguing. Yeah. But having said that, no matter what's decided, is not mandatory for a bishop to do. It's recommended, and then he tailors it to the needs of his diocese. You right. see, the conference has its greatest purpose, is to assist dioceses that are very small or smaller with the resources that they could not otherwise produce for themselves. You know, I hope people realize there are dioceses in this country, dioceses that have 40,000 Catholics in it. Wow. There are parishes I know that have more than that many people. Yeah. Right? So those dioceses would not have the financial resources 
to do what the Archdiocese of Los Angeles does with five and a half million people. But the conference allows the committees to make materials available to everyone. Some may not need it, others would desperately need it. That's what it means to be a communion. To me, that makes preeminent sense of why the conference exists. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so this year it's virtual, which means it's reduced in hours. I think it's only two afternoons rather than three full days. Right. And it's basically going to be very formatted. So except for two periods of discussion, I think one is on the Eucharistic proposal I discussed, and one is on the implications of the pandemic, if I remember correctly. Everything else is basically set. It's just formal presentation, so there won't be much interaction. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, so a lot of the stuff that you normally have, uh, that you have come to normally expect and um, kind of rely on, the side conversations, the dinners, that's yeah, out. Gone. Yeah, it's all gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I would be surprised if we're going to have it um, for even June of next year, the rate we're going. Hmm. We'll see. Is there anything, any stories that you can share about the non, about the, the side, side conversations or or you know how people decide to get together for dinner. Um, um, well, it's a, any specific stories. Um, like for example, one of the dinners I've always enjoyed um, going to is there is a um, there's a group of Italian and Italian American bishops that get together. There's an association, right, that tries to foster ministry to Italian and Italian Americans. It's actually organized, it has structured, it has members and stuff, of which I am a member. And those dinners are always hysterical. Yeah. They are hysterical. I mean, talk about just a lot of fun. And, um, but the last few years I couldn't go to them because of these other committee meetings, that have, these other committees I'm on, so I, I regret. But that, um, to be honest, I, I can't think of any like story off the top of my head. Um, to illustrate that, how about when you when you first your first or second USCCB assembly mm-hmm. that you attended? Mm-hmm. Were th- this may be a silly question, but uh, did you uh, did you go to the the assemblies thinking, oh boy, I'd really like to meet this guy? Or <laughs> oh no, not at all. Yeah, <laughs> no, not, not at all. <laughs> no, no, because by, by personality, I'm an introvert. No, so right. I, I would I would be just the opposite. I would be shy. In fact, I still am a bit shy at the conferences. Even though I'm a bishop, I'll be 15 years in August. I, I, I'm not the sort of, hey, how are you, George? <laughs> no, right. that is not me. But I will tell you a funny story. I was a bishop maybe three, four years. And I got on the elevator. And there were other bishops. And there was this older bishop who turned to me and said, oh, he said, and whose secretary are you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thinking I was a priest secretary. And right. I was going to look at him. And I just smiled. I didn't even answer. I wasn't sure what to say. And all the other bishops were looking at him like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so then, smiled. So you go down. It's not just you. You, you take uh, a priest secretary with you. Anybody else? Oh, I don't. Oh, oh I you don't. don't? Oh, okay. Oh, no, I don't have one. Okay. I've, 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 no, I, I don't have one. I have, uh, and I would never have one again. 
right? Because um, in my mind, a priest is ordained to serve God's people and collaborate with me, but not to serve me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I could pick up my own dry cleaning. I don't need anybody else to do that for me. Right. No. Do, do you ever have um, lay people or people representing certain organizations who kind of show up at the assemblies and, and they're trying to, you know... They're invited. Okay. They're observers. Because mm-hmm. remember, at the assemblies, there's a public and an executive session. Okay. And the public session, yeah, they observe different religious congregations and organizations that come. So I forget how many observers there are, maybe 70, 80. Now, I'm not sure if they're going to be part of this virtual. They may be part mm. of it, in which case you have more than 200 then. You probably have closer to 300 people wow. attending it, yeah. right? Um, and I'm going to say something a bit controversial, but this is, to be frank, and... I understand why people would disagree with what I'm about to say, but I particularly do not like television cameras in the, in the proceedings. Mm. Because, Lord forgive me, but there are some who give their intervention simply for what we used to call it the Greg, FaceTime. Yep. They, are to- they are speaking to the TV audience, but that's not why we're there. So I'll give you an analogy. Every Wednesday, I meet what I call my administrative cabinet, my closest collaborators in the Curia. And we have an agenda that we go through, and we speak very freely. I do not believe that what we do in that meeting should be reported verbatim. Mm -hmm. Because then you don't have the free exchange of ideas. So... Should the cameras be there? Yes. Should they be as much as they are there? No. I right. In my humble opinion, not at all. And right. the executive sessions in the last four or five years have grown longer and longer because the bishops now are beginning to sense there are topics they need to be able to speak about unvarnished so that we could arrive at the best decisions to be made. And the presence of TV cameras is not helpful in that regard. Yeah. Even, I'll give you another example of what I mean. Even with the famous McCarrick report coming out. Right. Which supposedly is coming out eventually soon. Right before the meeting. Right, supposedly. Um, If we want to have a culture developed among bishops where they will speak frankly to one another and correct each other. And I'm not talking to the level of McCarrick, but even things that are going on, behavior, tweets, stuff that's being said, that Jeff say, you know, listen, listen here, Harry, I'm not sure that's a good idea to do that for this reason. Right. You can't do that with TV cameras looking at you. Right. Yeah. You can't. So, and it's interesting, even in the Congress... Recently, after the uh, confirmation of Justice Barrett to the bench, to the Supreme Court, and Senator Schumer called for a closed session of the Senate, it was not televised, Mm -hmm. because even they recognize they need a forum where they can correct each other or speak their piece and not have it quoted. So I am not a big believer 
that television cameras, the way we're using them, are always a positive. I do not yeah. believe they are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, it makes total sense. Um, uh, how about with regards to... I, I remember that um, you said that there was some collaboration that happens among the bishops of the Northeast ahead of Ad Limina visits with the Holy Father. Yeah, the regions. Yes. Okay, right. The, so I wonder the if there's any sort of similar thing that happens ahead of UC, USCCB assemblies. No, no um, well, sometimes, like for example, we had uh, a regional meeting and Cardinal O'Malley led it. And in anticipation of the meeting in, in Baltimore virtually, over, right, um, there were two questions that were raised. One from the subcommittee on the catechism, of which I'm a chair, the chair, mm -hmm. and one is on liturgy and worship. So when the bishops get together, they have discussions, and the feedback goes to inform the larger meeting. So they, there is that relationship. Okay. Right? And a region may be larger than a province. So the provinces meet, which are the bishops of Connecticut and Rhode Island. And then the region meets, which are the bishops of New England. So there's both forum. So how many, how many regions are there? Do you know off the top of your 15. head? Fifteen. Fifteen. Okay. Fourteen geographical ones, and one for the bishops of the Eastern churches, Eastern Catholic churches. Mm. Fifteen. So oh, so do they? Do they also go to the USCCB assemblies? Oh, of course, sure. Oh, the okay. members. Of, of course, yeah. It's not just the, the, the Latin rite bishops it's all the bishops all the catholic bishops oh fantastic yeah, and their presence is actually very important because they give the universal perspective that members or bishops of the latin church forget mm -hmm. the catholic church is bigger than the latin rite mm -hmm. right yeah mm -hmm. and and as you mentioned we have one right here with the ukrainian church in stanford absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. uh so and so, I know that you are on uh, four committees. Do you want to spend maybe a minute or two just talking about each of those four committees? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, the one that I have uh, perhaps the greatest responsibility is the subcommittee on the catechism. It's the subcommittee of the committee on evangelization, all right, and catechesis, mm -hmm. and. Um, we, we are charged to make sure that the catechetical materials that exist are in conformity with the catechism. It was created maybe 27 years ago when a lot of catechetical materials were, were not in conformity with the catechism because the catechism had just come out. Mm -hmm. So, but we are now in the midst of real important discernment and planning because, my friend, the landscape of catechesis has so dramatically changed and the pandemic has accelerated the change that we are almost at the point where we cannot effectively do what the bishops have asked. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. In the old days, when I was young, right, catechesis meant you bought a textbook in English and you used it in class. Now, the majority of catechetical texts are not in textbooks, they're not in English, and you don't give them out, you find them online. So our mandate was, for a long time, read the book, 
make sure there are no errors, and give it the seal of approval. Right. Now, in order to do that, we have to be able to speak many languages, have a sense of the enculturation of the faith in these languages. And how do you give the seal of approval on something online which you could easily change tomorrow? Yeah. It's a different world. Yeah. It's a different world. So how do the bishops in their teaching munara, in their teaching function, exercise supervision in the catechal world when the world is literally changing under their feet? So that lands in the, the subcommittee's lap to work on. And, and the genesis of why we want to move forward in a whole new model is to say the old model, which worked, was reactive. You give me the text, I correct the text, you publish it, everybody's happy. Mm -hmm. Now we want to form a proactive approach where we help form the editors and writers before they do anything and give them something to accompany right, the word of the day, accompany the creation of the text in its format, whatever it may be, so that we don't render a judgment at the end, we accompany from the beginning, mm -hmm. which then could be in English, Spanish, Vietnamese, it could be written, it could be online, it could be in so many different formats. It's a total sea change. Yeah. So that lands in the lap, that keeps, that keeps me busy, in the one committee, then you have evangelization and catechesis, which is the larger questions, right? Of evangelization, yeah. right, in Eucharist. Yes. And then the CRS, which we've talked about. CRS is just an incredible organization. And, you know, there are elements out there that purposely misrepresent and provide misinformation on the work of CRS which is, is, um, is just sinful. There's no other way to describe it, it's sinful. It hurts the church. But to be the chair is both a privilege and it is very much a big commitment of time, which I'm glad to give because you're talking about the work of charity, of faith in action around the world. I couldn't think of anything more noble and more important. Yeah. And with a staff of over 6,000 people worldwide in over 100 and some odd countries, with a budget of a billion, a hundred million dollars. Wow. We're not talking a small operation. <laughs> and, and then the committees that come from that, International Justice and Peace, the Subcommittee on Africa, which I, I am consultants on simply because I'm the chair of CRS. What I have learned in this past year is just amazing to me about the church as it's lived on all seven continents, including Antarctica, mm. is astonishing how its richness, its depth, its beauty, its challenges, its problems. I mean, our brothers and sisters of the faith, and even those who are not of the faith, simply because they are our, our brothers and sisters, in so many countries don't even have drinkable water. And we take it for granted. We water our lawns with it. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just been such an eye-opening experience for me. Hmm? We need to do a se whole separate show on CRS and, and telling stories. 
Oh, and setting yeah. the record straight. Then I'll be frank. You want me to be frank? I'll be frank. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Excellency, that's uh, thank you um, for giving us a little insight into the USCCB. Let's, um, let's take one more break. And when we come back, Excellency, you can answer a listener question. Great. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic Radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Um, Excellency, so we got a question from uh, emailed in from Susan this week. Mm-hmm. She asks, why do Catholics teach that contraception is immoral? Well, that is a, that is a question that is, takes a great deal of explanation and nuance that maybe, Steve, one of these podcasts we could dive into, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, because it's a question that obviously many priests do not raise. They're not comfortable raising. Mm-hmm. Many Catholics are confused about and so I think it would be really helpful. But for just an overview, some things to consider. When we say contraception, we are oftentimes referring to artificial contraception. And that is artificial means to prevent the natural end of a procreative act. So you engage in the act, but you cut off the end for which the act exists in part, which is to conceive, right? And that's part of the reason why the church has always held against it, because in Humanae Vitae, St. Pope Paul VI spoke of easily people falling into a contraceptive mentality, which separated the unitive and procreative aspects of marriage that in sexual intercourse there would be an expression of the unitive love a person has, but not the procreative aspect of the life they have together, because you've cut it off. Yes. So it's not what marriage is meant to be, and a marital act that's not what it's fully meant to be on one level. And then there is the question, when you use artificial means, the vast majority of them are abortifacient. Mm-hmm. That is, they either prevent the planting of a fertilized egg into the wall of the uterus so that it literally leaves the body and therefore is, is denied the opportunity to have life or in some way, shape or form is abortive, right? It destroys the fetus or it destroys the, the fertilized egg. So, um, and that, of course, is always immoral. We can never cooperate in the act of abortion, even when it may not be visible to our eyes. Maybe only when it perhaps only involves the fertilized uh, egg. Mm-hmm. But it's still abortive, and therefore it's still gravely immoral. So it, there are many aspects to this, but those are some of the, let's say, of the, of the hints of, of a much larger presentation we should really go through that explains why contraception, when it's done in that sense, 
of intentionally end, preventing the act um, from achieving its goal when ordinarily it would have achieved its goal, mm-hmm. right? Or that it's abortive on, on both levels. It's extremely mor- morally, very, it's more than problematic. It would be, it would be immoral, right? It would be, so it's part of what we need to talk about. Yes. Right? Yep. There is natural family planning too we should talk about. Yeah. Right? The same which is, mm-hmm. yeah, which allows for a reasoned and mutually collaborative, communicative um, process between a husband and wife that would allow for abstinence in a time when a wife, when a, when a woman is fertile and allow for um, the, uh, the sexual expression when a, a, a woman would not be as fertile. Yeah. Always open to the possibility that even God can surprise you and she could conceive and you would still be cooperative with that, right? It's Yeah, and it doesn't reduce the woman to a means to an end or, an, or just a, an object of pleasure. Of gratification, correct. Yes. Right. So it, it upholds the, the dignity of woman. Right. Awesome. Okay, so yeah, we will talk about that more in depth in, in a future episode. Um, and if you have a question for Bishop Frank... Send it in to us. You can send it in on the Veritas app or on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. You can find Bishop Frank Caggiano on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Veritas Catholic Network is there too. Excellency, before we go, would you please give us your blessing? I'd be happy to. May the Lord bless you and keep you all the days of your life. May he grant you wisdom, courage, and perseverance during these challenging times. And may Almighty God bless you. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. My friend, I'll see you next week. Thanks, Excellency. See ya. God bless you.